Catholic history is full of, I think, more more instances of, of confusion like this than we necessarily want to allow for. I think there were a lot of times where it was where you can look at Liberius and Athanasius. Did he or didn't he excommunicate Liberius? And it's going to go round and round. You're going to see it in the comments section right here on your show about Liberius because these things are, are really not settled. Hey, my friends. As we are now entering into the time of the Synod on Synodality, which we know is going to be a nightmare for the Church, the lead up, all of the <laughs> picks of the Pope, and all of what's led to the Synod itself, just a nightmare. So we're entering into a literal nightmare in the Church. And uh, as you know, we're going to have Rome Life Forum at the end of the Synod. We're going to have a press conference right before the Forum, exactly after the completion of the Synod where Catholic leaders, lay Catholic leaders, are going to stand for tradition, going to stand for the traditional faith against any novelties that uh, might crop up. And uh, I can't think of anyone better to speak about that with than with someone who has fought this fight for not only these last this last decade, when it's been the most insane, but has fought it in his family for generations. Michael Matt uh, with uh, Remnant TV, Remnant newspaper, um, has been in this fight for tradition, for the true faith, for, well, in his family for, what, over 100 years. Mm -hmm. And so it's incredible. And he comes not only from that family tradition, he comes from a tradition of his own faith and devotion to this, which is truly remarkable. Stay tuned for this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Hey, my friends, now is the time to stand up and fight. We are just about to have the Synod on Synodality, and everything that you've seen indicates that it's going to be an absolute disaster. We have Father James Martin as a personal appointee of the Pope speaking at it. We've got Cardinal Supich, Cardinal Tobin, these picks of the Pope to engage in this synod are indicative of where we're going. We're going into heresy. And at these times of great crisis, the church, especially those called in the laity to work for the glory of Christ and his church, are called to gather and strategize. Back in 2014, LifeSite launched something called Rome Life Forum. It was a gathering at that point of some 75 life and family leaders from all around the world to strategize as to what we could do. And when we gathered, the majority of people were most concerned about what? About Pope Francis, about what was going on in Rome. But this was 2014, but the life and family leaders saw it first. Now, a decade on, we are confronted with some of the most severe challenges the church has ever faced. And so, our tradition at LifeSite is to continue with Rome Life Forum, which has continued every year until we had to take a break over COVID because we weren't permitted. But we're starting it up again. Please come, if you feel so called, to Rome, October 31st and November 1st, the very end of the Synod on Synodality. And uh, we'll be there to strategize with His Eminence, with His Excellency, and with many life and family leaders from around the world. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. Michael, Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, John Henry. 
So good to be with you. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. Mm. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, Michael, you've been doing a lot. You're running right now your own conference here, which is very, very well known, the Catholic Identity Conference. How long has that been going? We're at 12 years, I think, at this point. I lose track, but I think it's about 12. So, for most of the apex of the revolution, um, you... (laughs) You have been running this conference, and it's needed because it's about the true Catholic identity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the themes that you've also had here, uh, going back, I think, to its beginning, has been unite the clans, mm-hmm. and um, that's never been more needed as it is today. We're we're seeing a division like I didn't think possible. Um, I thought that we had enough division with, um, you know, just trying to keep orthodoxy in play and and. Orthodoxy, particularly around marriage and the family, which has been somehow the focus of so much of the attack. Um, but of late, anyway, and for you forever, the mass has been uh, under attack and, and, and a focus point. It's obviously, in, I grew in my development, actually, uh, of understanding the faith, largely thanks to you and your focus on the mass. I mean, I had it from my youth and, and stuff like that, but really didn't focus on it till after really watching what you were doing and realizing, oh my gosh, obviously if they want to attack the faith, they're going to attack the mass first. Mm-hmm. So tell us about Unite the Clans, why that came so strong for you. Unite the Clans is, is um, I think it's largely sort of misunderstood or overcomplicated, I should say, because people think what it means is, you know, we got to put an effort together whereby every fraternity of St. Peter priest and every society of St. Pius X priest and every institute of Christ the King priest and every saint of a con- whatever, everybody has to be exactly united before the, the mission to unite the clans is a success. And of course that's not what it is at all. Because the clans, literally, specifically, I think you'd say as much more of, a, of, a, of an etymology or a, or a definition as families. Families. We're talking about uniting the families, which is uniting the Christian family of the world. All these families in the Catholic Church um, are, are, are fighting against the culture war, uh, they're homeschooling, they're doing everything they can to survive, have the children keep the faith. Um, most of them go to the Latin Mass that I'm talking about, not all of them, many of them do not, they don't have access to the Latin Mass. Uh, there used to be this idea that if you didn't go to the Latin Mass, well, you know, you ostracized, you get away from me. That's not fair, quite frankly. There are a lot of people who are doing the very best they can to find the best liturgy they can. Of course, I exclusively go to traditional Latin Mass. But that doesn't mean I, I anathematize everybody who doesn't have access to it. So it's basically, United the Clans is basically a question of what are we called to do before God with respect to Christian charity? We're, we're called to, to do as everything we possibly can to unite. And if we do that, if we don't let things like disagreements, uh, internecine uh, squabbling get in the way of bringing us all together as Christian men and women, uh, we're going to become a, a force to be reckoned with. And I think we have become, and by we, I just mean faithful Catholics. That is, that's it. We've invented nothing new. Our security, our assurance that we have the truth is that we stand on the teaching of Holy Mother Church, the infallible teaching of the Church. We've invented nothing new. So if we can come together on that and say, listen, there's nothing in the creed that says, I believe in the Pope. So the Pope should not be, a, a, at this particular point, when we have, I would say, the worst Pope in history, shouldn't necessarily be a point of division. What unites us as families is our belief in every, every tenant of the creed. And, that, and that's, that's most important. Can I say the creed with you? And can we sort of try to survive this, this incredible, unprecedented period of revolution in the church? 
And I would say, yes, it's absolutely not only possible to unite the clans, it's already happening. In fact, it's just to a large degree, it's already happened. Traditionis custodis itself, which is the Pope's message or his, his attempt to cancel the, the Latin mass, is proof positive how the clans of, of, of Christendom have come together to such an extent that a very modernist globalist Pope sees the uniting of those clans as a serious threat. And in a sense, he's sort of making a fool of himself right now, trying to cancel the mass of little homeschool families and kids. And you know what I mean? Like, these are not militant people who are trying to make war on the Pope. They're just simple families trying to survive. And yet he seems to see that as a serious threat. And you know what? He's right. It is a threat. <laughs> he should see it as a threat because we're not going away. Now, it's a very interesting thing we have uh, playing out before us because, and it, it, it struck me like a ton of bricks, and that was when I saw good cardinals fighting good cardinals, good bishops fighting good bishops. I always used to think Akita was about, you know, when the, in, the, in her message, Our Lady of Akita talked about, you will come to a time when you will see bishops fighting against bishops, cardinals against cardinals. I always used to think, oh, that's obviously that the good cardinals have to fight against, like, it'll be Burke against Subic, but obviously it has to be because mm. they have to defend faith. The upset over many of the latest things, the traditional mass being one, but also over COVID uh, and the jab mandate, but also over um, this concept of the Pope. Now, what is the Pope? Is he the Pope or whatever? A lot of that has created divisions mm -hmm. inside the church hierarchy from, but among the good, among those who you'd say are, should be all in the United Clan mm -hmm. because we're trying to defend the faith. And yet there is such massive, massive division. And it's really tough. I've taken a position that is really neutral because honestly, I don't know. Um, but it's hard to sit in the middle when you're watching really good, holy, men and women be on either side of a debate that's massive the thing with the pope we all know that um you know father altman has come out and said was he said and that created a massive stir in the church but he wasn't the first one he wasn't the first prelate to have said so he wasn't even the first most high-ranking prelate we have two prelates who said so as well bishop uh, rene gracida from texas and um, Archbishop Jan Pavelenga, who is from Kazakhstan, he was actually the uh, former superior of uh, Bishop Schneider, who is himself one who would suggest that those that should never even be thought of that, mm -hmm. that you know, Francis isn't the Pope. But they're both retired. Um, and maybe that's something because they're both retired. I'm just I'm trying to put this together and where this fits mm -hmm. in terms of church history and where we are. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's just been repeated so often, it's become a cliche that during the, the, uh, the Avignon captivity that there were saints on both sides, where there was, there was a pope and an anti-pope, and there were saints on both sides of the anti-pope as well, as, as, who was the pope. So, you know, Catholic history is full of, I think, more, more instances of, of confusion like this than we necessarily want to allow for. I think there were a lot of times where it was where you can look at Liberius and Athanasius. Did he or didn't he excommunicate Liberius? And it's going to go round and round. You're going to see it in the comments section right here on your show about Liberius because these, these things are, are really not settled. And so I think what we have to consider is, again, where is everybody... Uh, Where's everybody at on this, and what can we do to stay together? Like, hang it, hold it together, hold it together, you know? So, for example, you mentioned two retired bishops. Um, even if Bishop Schneider or Bishop Strickland thought in their heart of hearts, which they don't, as far as I know, but let's say they thought that Francis isn't the Pope, he's lost a Pope through heresy or whatever, we would have to ask ourselves a question. If they 
make that pronouncement too soon. They take themselves and their influence out. So now we say, okay, wait, you got to say the right thing. You got to speak the truth no matter what, right? Well, maybe. Uh, Sir Edmund Campion didn't think so. St. Thomas More didn't think so. They kept it to themselves because they know they have to stay in the fight for as long as they can. Father Michael Pro with the Cristeros. He could have gotten, gone out and gotten himself killed on day one. I denounce Caius, you know, and died. No, he dresses in disguise. He goes out even as a ladies' man, like kind of go hit the town as a priest so he can administer to his flock so he doesn't die on the, on, on the first hill that comes along. And so I think it's really important to think about the advantage. Like what, what is the best chance we have to undermine what's happening in the Vatican right now? Is it for each of us just to go rogue? And we have our 15 minutes of fame, and we set it like it is, and pretty soon we're talking to our mom and her friends. And that's it, because everybody else is like, eh, I don't know. You know as you said. So I think if there's a chance that Francis you know, is going to continue to go down this road, it's going to become very untenable, the situation. We're going to find out after the Synod, or during the Synod. What we want right now is for rightful authority to exercise the maximum influence to stop this pope or to, to, to stop what's happening in the Vatican, put it that way. And if we begin going off half-cocked and too soon, well, the Cardinal Mullers of the world, the Bishop Schneiders, the Bishop Strickland are going to pull back. What do we got then? we got a division in the most organized opposition Francis has ever faced. So there is a strategic concern here to say, okay, well, I don't have anything to lose. I could say it right now. Francis isn't the Pope. And then I get to keep doing my work, fine. If Bishop Schneider does that, he's done. If Cardinal Muller does that, he's not even Cardinal Muller anymore. He's Archbishop Muller, because Francis made him a cardinal. You see what happens, how it unravels, so you have to ask the question, is it cowardice that prevents them, or is it a certain desire, like a Father Pro, like Edmund Campion, like a Klaus von Stauffenberg going after Hitler, keep your powder dry until you can maximize your influence to stop a terrible situation from getting any worse. And there's where I would encourage your viewers to like pray about this. Don't... It may not be that the best thing you can do is declare Francis isn't the Pope. That may be John Henry exactly what he wants because then he can say to the world, well, look at these crazy traditionalists. I'm the one in white. I live in the Casa Santa Marta. I'm the Pope. He can look at the entire world and say, is there a Pope? And the whole world says, yes, there is a Pope. Who is the Pope? You are, Francis. You see? He has that. That's his strongest card to play. He looks at us. We say he's not the Pope. He says, who cares? Mm -hmm. So what have we done? We've minimized our ability to, to, put, to put pressure on the Vatican because we're all talking about the next conclave now, I think. I think that's the best hope. I know what you're thinking. That's going to be a disaster, and I think it probably will be. But the Holy Ghost has intervened in the past, and he may again. And I think we need to help the cardinals and the bishops who are applying the pressure as, as best as we possibly can, because as you just said, you're a smart guy and you're, you do this for a living, you don't even know for sure. So if we don't know for sure, stick with the thing, stick with the faith, stick with what unites us, and support these guys, these priests and prelates who are putting uh, pressure on the Vatican right now, Cardinal Mullins at the top of the list as far as I'm concerned, and Cardinal Burr, and let's see where this goes. But going off half-cocked half may not be the right thing to do. It may not be God's will at all. Hello, friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 of these brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Now, each round is stamped with the image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, LifeSite's logo surrounded by a brilliant sunburst and draped with olive branches. They, of course, commemorate our 25-year anniversary of LifeSite News. We began in 1997 in September, so September 
of 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com, where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. With that, with regard to uh, Pope Francis, you said at the outset that he's the worst pope in history. I, I don't even think that's contestable anymore. Uh, I also don't think it's contestable that he's guilty of heresy. Uh, four formal ones in documents, but then every time, not every time, but you know what I mean? So often when he opens his mouth, particularly when he's in a plane, just flouting church teaching. Now, funny, he does say stuff that is in accord with church teaching. This, this last week, he, he defended uh, life uh, in terms of going down the euthanasia road. But he does this, but I've seen him do this so many times, go down one way and then go the other way hard. Mm-hmm. And so much so that I cringe. Every time he says something pro-life, I'm like, uh-oh, what's coming? Yeah. Um, I remember the, what his strongest statement on life was, uh, abortion is not only wrong, it's a crime. But contraception is a lesser evil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hokey. Mm-hmm. And the pro-life world concentrated on the pro-life comment and didn't look at what he was saying about contraception, basically right. overturning the teaching. I'd like to hear you on that first. And I have another question follow-up for you that's going to be very interesting about the false prophet. But tell us what, what you've seen about this communication from Francis of going one way, saying something good, and then turning around. It's the, it's the, he's the consummate modernist. Only I would say he's not that smart. For a Jesuit, I don't think he's that smart because we're all seeing through him. People have been seeing through Francis from the beginning. When he has one and a half languages, I don't think he's the cosmopolitan modernist that people are ascribing or thinking, well, he's, just, he's a Jesuit, he must be. I don't think he's that brilliant because he keeps making these mistakes. Um, his position on abortion, okay, it's like hiring a hitman. Okay, that sounds terrible and we're all, you know, I mean, that sounds great. We're all, you know, going to jump on that. But what about the mortal sin of abortion? What about everlasting damnation? You know, what about the fact that a baby just died without baptism? And the doctor and the mother now murdered the baby. No, no talk about that at all because it's very politically incorrect. So like our own country in the U.S., half the country is more or less pro-life, so they say. Uh, saying comments like that from the Pope, it's kind of like, duh, he's the Pope. Yeah, I guess he's not in favor of abortion. Good for him. But I mean, oh my gosh, is the bar that low? So I would say, to answer your question, I think the other day I, I, I confronted a, a good friend of mine. And I said, okay, you think Francis has lost his, his, uh, his uh, office through heresy. What would be his number one heresy, in your opinion? What is the number one heresy? And he went... Well, probably Pachamama. And I said, and what dogma did he deny through the mm-hmm. Pachamama scandal? And he couldn't come up with it. This is a good guy. He's a smart guy. And this is what we have to do with almost everything he says. What dogma did he deny when he said, gee, when Our Lady was at the foot of the cross, she must have been thinking, you know, you lied to me. That's a ridiculous thing to say, but that's not heresy. So, and I'm not defending him in the least. I'm saying we need to hone our polemic. So that we really understand. So you remember the famous one, John Paul kissed the Quran. Heresy, he's not the Pope. We don't know what he meant by that. We don't know if he even knew it was the Quran. We don't know if he was just doing something he thought dignitaries and heads of state are supposed to do, venerate something. We don't know anything about that, right? So I think that's the big problem with Francis is he knows we don't. So he plays both sides of things. He says one thing, then he'll say it again. It's like he's right, right from the beginning. He'll say these things about the devil, how bad the devil is. Because he has a sort of South American attitude about that sort of thing. They have festivals and pageants in the streets where they have devils you know, dressed up and then they have angels and they go through the streets and, and it's a beautiful thing to see actually. But he knows that's going to play. But is that the, is that the, 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 the Holy Father 
really going up against evil, or is that him sort of tossing a bone to the little children and the older people who still think that you know hell, hell and the devil is a relevant thing? I don't know, and that's just the point. We don't know. So I think when it comes to this, on, on all of these, these issues, you have to, and if you don't know for sure, go to a good theologian and say, okay, was that heresy? Did he just deny a dogma of the faith? And then it gives you a starting point. Yeah. But just looking at all the scandals and saying, I know those are all heresies, if you say that, I think then you run the risk of minimizing again, reducing your ability to have a serious influence with people right now who are very confused because he kind of went off half-cocked on something. Yeah. When Francis said to the kids in Argentina, wherever he went, no, he wasn't Argentina, one of the world youth days, go out and make a mess. All right, that's ridiculous, but it's not heresy. No, no. Amoris Letizia was heresy in his first allowance for divorce, remarried communion. And even in there, when it was confusing, and people said, well, and we had those theologians make the interpretation, they mm-hmm. had to do mental gymnastics to interpret it properly. Then Francis came out in the Act Apostolic status to clarify, no, he meant the heretical interpretation. Mm-hmm. So we have, it's clear in certain cases. It's also clear in, um, in um, Gaudete de Exultate, where he reverses the order of the importance uh, vis-a-vis immigration and abortion, um, which is the teaching of the church and reiterated by the U.S. bishops about the primacy of abortion. So there are actual cases that have been delineated by theologians, and if you know you've got it on on your site, it's all over life site. Mm-hmm. So we have actual cases. Um, the the death penalty is another one with the catechism. I think we'd we'd have to, if you don't mind me interrupting before mm-hmm. I forget. Um, I think one of the big problems that we have there is proving pertinacity. So now that's what Cardinal Burke and the Dubia Cardinals were trying to do. They were trying to say, holiness, what do you mean by this? In the more sense, what are you saying here? Of course, he never answered them. So now it's, it's, it's a question of, he has to deny a dogma of the faith. He has to be informed. What, what the main thing that we have to understand with, with, as far as declaring a pope has lost his office through heresy mm-hmm. is there's a canonical process. He has the right to a defense, just like we would in, in, in regular jurisprudence, in the regular court of law. Uh, you can disagree with him all day long. You can say, no, I know what he's really doing. But still, at the end of the day, he has a right. So he has to be informed that he's a heretic, that what he said is heretical. And then he has to remain pertinaciously, basically digging in. I don't care. I'm going to continue to be a, a heretic no matter what. Because otherwise what you have is you have like the, the famous case of Pope John Paul XX, or Pope John XXII on the particular versus general judgment. So the question is, we all agree that, that, John Paul, that Pope John XXII accepted or tra- publicly taught a heretical uh, proposition or position and that he held to it and that it was official. Did he lose his office during the time from when he first made this heretical uh, proclamation to the time that he recanted, which he did towards the end of his life, he recanted because traditionalists applied pressure and said, this is heresy. Um, and I've asked lots of theologians about, did he lose his office? Because that's key. If John the 22nd lost his office, it settles it for us. But did he? Not one person says, not one theologian I've talked to maintains that he lost his office due to heresy. Hmm. Pope Pius X talks about the modernists, which he, modernism he calls the synthesis of all heresies. That's pretty serious. Did he say anything about them being outside the church or losing their office? No. He says they're at the heart and bosom of the church, and that's the problem. Hmm. So that's where it gets really ticklish. We can all, I'm, just a the, I'm not a theologian, I'm just a guy. But in talking to theologians, it's like, wow, this is so complicated. And, it's, and the church never envisioned, I don't think, a Francis. And that's a big problem, too. Yeah. They never saw. So everything we know about papal infallibility and indefectibility comes from this idea, you will never disagree with a pope. A pope is always going to be 
strengthening doctrine, not undermining it. Mm-hmm. Well, we have one now who fits the bill that of, of what, what Cardinal St. Uh, Robert Ellerman mentioned. He's trying to destroy the church, so you have to resist him. Yeah. But that doesn't settle it, because for every, for every Bellerman quote I can give, I know our state of a conscious friends can come back with five more. And that's why it gets really murky. It's very difficult to determine. Yeah.